Welcome to the Addiction Connection podcast, connecting the hope of the gospel with the heart of addiction. I'm your host, Mark Shaw, and this is a special series we are doing called A Critique of the 12 Steps. And I am joined with a special guest today, a longtime friend, Mr. Fred Bucci. Hi, Fred. Hey, hi, Mark. How you doing? Hey, good. Welcome to the podcast. Your first time. Well, it is. And, uh, I'm, I'm humbled that you've asked me to do this. Well, it won't be the last time, let's hope, unless you really mess up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally no. kidding. Um, no, I Well, Fred is uh, a good friend. He and Lori both have uh, just uh, been a, such an encouragement to me, and uh, and I can't Thank the Lord enough for crossing our paths, and uh, we'll talk about some of that another time on another podcast, but today we want to look at step 11 in particular, and at first, before we do that, I want to read Colossians 2.8, because it's our, our theme verse, our foundational verse for this entire series, A Critique of the 12 Steps, and verse 8 in Colossians 2 says this, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And that's our emphasis. We want to look at all of these steps in this entire series, but today, particularly step 11, we want to look at it and say, how does this step fall short? How does it maybe mislead? Um, How does it direct people away from Christ. And I know that's a strong statement, but um, Mm. especially with something that people would say, oh, it's a spiritual program. It helps people to get on the path to God and they get to know God. Well, yes and no. It it has some teachings and some things that, that are misleading to people and actually point them away from Christ. And Fred will talk about that more in just a minute. So I want to read step 11 now before I turn it over to Fred. Step 11 is sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And so that's step 11. And Fred, before you start to critique this step, tell us a little bit about how you connect to the 12 steps and maybe a little bit of your personal testimony in just a few minutes here. I know you're, I'd love for you in another podcast to really get into more details. You and Lori both could be on yeah. the, the, the podcast to do that. But just for yeah. today, just connect us to how you are familiar with 12 Steps. Okay. Um, well, as a young man, um, I was uh, raised in a pretty good home, parents that loved me. They were not Bible-believing Christians. Uh, it was a Roman Catholic tradition. So we had a sense of God in our lives. But what happened was I ended up running away from the morals that they taught me. And I started to go out and do things like uh, sinful things, the things that my flesh wanted to do, my my sinful desires. I started to fulfill them. And I will uh, save you from the the list, but uh, one of them was this sin of uh, drug addiction. It's called sorcery in the Bible in Galatians chapter 5, I believe. And it was one that really took my heart and started to draw me closer and closer to um, 
well, I would say the world, the flesh, and the devil. And ultimately, it drew me by the lust of my flesh into doing behaviors in order to support the habit that caused me criminal activity that eventually, as I looked in reverse, Romans 13, God uh, used the authority of uh, the police officers and, and uh, criminal activity I was doing. He ended up getting busted for about four felonies over a period of two years. And I was really facing a large prison sentence. Well, uh, in the jail, God brought me to a man who was um, doing prison ministry, and he shared the gospel of Christ with me. And um, at that point, I was so overcome and uh, overwrought with guilt that uh, of what I had done and thought I had ruined my life, and I had no hope. There's a verse in the Bible that says, hope deferred, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I had a sick heart. And this man said uh, that the Bible taught that Christ would forgive me. And he started to quote to me, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, that all old things pass away and all things become new. Well, that's all I needed. I needed that sense of, you mean God will forgive me? And he said, yes. And I cried out in that prison cell and asked Christ for forgiveness. And uh, I did sense the burden lift, but it wasn't like it just went away forever. The, the temptations came back because I had the Spirit of God in me. Now I had to learn what it meant to be sanctified and walking in the Spirit. So as temptations started to come, that's where God started to uh, draw me into his word, the sufficient word of God. First, it was Jesus who was sufficient to forgive me of the guilt of my sins. But then secondarily, God's word started to become um, alive in my heart. And I was in the jail for a period of time. I did not do uh, a long time. God showed me mercy. And um, I did not have to go to prison uh, with <laughs> four felonies. That's a story in itself. But as I started to read God's word, the eyes of my heart were open, and I started to sense God's Spirit working in my heart to teach me, and he led me, and he was guiding me. And I started to, his word started to bear witness to me and my soul in that jail. And I just knew it was truth. I just knew it was truth. Jesus, uh, I think, it, what is it, in, uh, in John chapter 8, he says, You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that was happening to me in the jail. So that's my testimony in brief. The other thing was because I did have the jail sentence uh, that was I didn't have to fulfill. I was there were certain obligations that they wanted me to do on probation. One of the one of them was that I needed to see probation officer for five years and you know do all this stuff. But as it turned out, um, I ended up in within one year. He saw such a powerful transformation in my life. He let me off of probation that, that much earlier because God was transforming my life. I even was sharing the gospel with my probation officer. I was, I was kicking my heels and just praising God for what he had done. I was, I was so set free in my soul from the power of God. So um, with that, um, you know, I, I got to tell you, I never went to a, uh, any 12-step program. Uh, they... They did, never made that requirement for me back then. Now, you got to realize that was in 1978, I believe. And I did not have a requirement like that to go to any of these meetings. So I never really experienced the, the meetings themselves. But 
what I started to sense was the transformation in my life. Now, as I'm looking at this uh, step 11, as you've read it already, I know we're trying to be critical of it because, like you said, we want to be careful that we are not giving people uh, a false gospel, which will take them away from Christ. And one of the things I'm careful of, when even, even when I'm trying to help people, I do biblical counseling, um, I'm an IABC uh, certified counselor and ACBC certified counselor and the Addiction Connection uh, commissioned uh, counselor. And, you know, I've got, I served as an elder for 28 years in uh, Cornerstone Community Church. So I've had a lot of opportunity to um, minister the Word of God to many people in many situations. And what I've seen is there's a fear that we can uh, make make people think by doing the outward works of doing right and wrong that somehow that's going to please God. You see, and if I understand the gospel correctly, there's nothing that we can do to please God. It says that our works are like filthy rags to God, and that we're not saved by good works. That our good works we're saved by grace through faith, not of good works, lest any man should boast in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. So with that, the gospel has to come out first, you know, and what is what is the reason for me wanting to transform? And what I found out, Mark, and I learned this from you even over a period of time and other materials that was out there that was good stuff about addiction, but I had a worship disorder. And, you know, worship is the idea that I'm giving myself to what's worthy to me, worth-ship is the way I like to look at it. And what is, what is worthy to me? Is it God or the things that I want to do that have to do with lustly, fleshly desires? And what I was finding was that I was doing things in my flesh. So as a Christian, part of what I had to learn was that my goal was not to not take drugs, but my goal was to worship God with my heart, my soul, my mind, in my strength. And that's where, as I started to get a proper understanding of worship, that's where God started to help me. So uh, Matthew 13, 44, where, where it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. Well, my treasure was finding Jesus my treasure was knowing that the guilt of my sins was forgiven and that joy from, from what he had accomplished in my life through the blood that he shed on, uh, you know, the good pride that we, that we tried to uh, acknowledge once a year, that blood cleansed me from the sins. You know, Second uh, Corinthians 5.21 says this, He made Jesus, who knew no sin, but to be sin on my behalf that I could become what? The righteousness of God in him. And when I saw that, then what I wanted to do was sell everything in that and go buy that field. And then that field would be uh, what I would spend all my time and energy in. And that's what Jesus, what Jesus said. The first and greatest commandment is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the other thing is that Jesus also said in Matthew 16, 24 through 26, that if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, right? 
take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So I believe that what God's trying to do when we're running into these idolatries, something other than God, is he wants us to to love him. Because he says in John 14, if you love me, what? You'll obey my commandments. It's not a burden to serve him when you're loving him for setting you free from the prison that I was in and the hell that I was bound for. So I guess the idea is God created us for his glory. And Isaiah 43, 7 says, everyone is, uh, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory. And 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all the, to, to the glory of God. And, and the word glory, it's the beauty of who he is. That's why it says to taste and see what? That the Lord is good. And, and then as I start to taste and see that the Lord is good, then I won't want the inferior pleasures of this world, right? They're inferior when I can taste and see that God is good. And so by glorifying him, then I'm going to reflect his image in all that I say and do. You know, I'm going to be like Jesus, right? Romans 8.29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. And that confirmation is like I'm being molded into that image. I'm being more like him when I'm starting to submit myself to his will by doing his will and his word. And then uh, another verse in Matthew 6, 16 says this, that let your light so shine before men that they may fear good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. So my goal is that I want God's image to be seen in and through me and that he gets the glory. And then every time someone would look at me and say, wow, look at Fred, what he's doing then I would give God the glory because he's the one that gave me the grace to do it. So that's what it means to, to be conformed to his image and to give him glory. And it says in order to glorify God, you know, we must be born again for the forgiveness of our sins and have the spirit of God dwelling in us that will give us the proper motivation of our heart, which is what? To worship and glorify him, right? So, I can't do this in my flesh. And this is what I was talking about before. Um, anything I do in my flesh just to say, well, I need to quit taking drugs or I need to do better in my home life. I need to be a better spouse. No, that's all going to be the secondary result of me worshiping and loving God. Because his word teaches me to do all those things after I'm born again. And then, you know, I have to be made right with God first. You know, the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin being death means there's an eternal separation from God. There's a hell that's prepared for the devil and his angels. 
Revelation 21 talks about, where there's going to be a separation of the sheep and goats, and where there's going to be all the unbelievers are going to be sent to hell, and all the believers will be sent to heaven. And on that day, I want to be covered in the blood of Christ through the forgiveness of my sins because of his sacrifice on my behalf, the substitutionary sacrifice that I spoke of in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that um, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf. That's the great transaction of guilt for righteousness. And then God can look at me and send me to his heaven. It's not because of my good works. It's just faith in what God did on my behalf. And Jesus goes on to say in John 3, 3, that Jesus answered, um, and he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that's why John three sixteen says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So the real problem is this, that we what? Have a worship disorder and we what? Worship the creation over the creator like Romans one twenty five says. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they and worship the creature rather than the creator. And there you go. That's the problem. We all have that problem as unbelievers, my problem now is, as a believer, is that I still have that same decision. Will I worship the creature, sinful patterns, the world, the flesh, and the devil, or will I worship the creator? And I like to say every moment of every day. I didn't say every day. Every moment of every day is what God wants me to do and worship. So when I obey God, rather than my, the lust of my flesh, and this world and the devil, that's the true worshiper. So that uh, is a precursor to the critique that I would like to give. And I don't know if you want to interact at this point in some way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just wind you up and let you go. This is good. Yeah, that's a good backdrop for people to understand. And everything you just said can't be known and can't be found in the 12 step program. It's, it's not in there. It's not in the big book. It's not in the 12 and 12. It's not in as Bill sees it. Bill uh, says that, you know, he spoke to a a 15th century monk, St. Boniface who he channeled and gave him inspiration to write some of his other, some of his writings. And, you know, and so, you won't find anything that Fred Bucci just said in the 12 step yeah. program. So you have yeah. to bring that in from the scriptures, from the Bible, but you're not allowed to do that at many meetings. You, you just are supposed to stay to these steps and stay generic. And what Fred said is right. This is who God is. So his first critique, uh, yeah, tell us, let okay. me read step 11 one more time. Mm-hmm. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Go ahead, Fred. Okay, so the, the first critique I would have in this uh, is this, Mark. It says, God, as we understand him or know him. Okay. And 
Well, I just stated in Romans one twenty five that we either serve the Creator or the creature. So this would mean that those that don't know Jesus as the Creator would then be serving the creature, which is idolatry. It's serving something other than than God the Creator. So this would include the Hindu god Vishnu, the Muslim god Allah, the god of self, or any number of other false gods that have no power to save or change life. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, and it's the man Christ Jesus. Isaiah 44.5 says, I am the Lord, and there is no other beside me. There is no God beside me. Isaiah 45.22 says, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. These other gods are worldly, vain philosophies, that Colossians 2.8 speaks of, what you already spoke and opened up with, where it says, see to it that no one takes you captive through, through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So that's my first critique. I have two more. Okay. <laughs> so your first critique is on that part about God as we understood him, and you really have to know the God of the Bible who tells us who he is. You can't just make up any God and try to understand anything. That's polytheism. That's wrong. Right. And there's one God. I love that you cited First Timothy 2 5. All right, let's hear the second critique. That was great. All right. Thanks. Okay, so praying for the knowledge of his will for us. That's my second critique. And it, the way to know the knowledge of God's will is through salvation in Christ Jesus. And that becomes our conscious contact with him. If you don't know Jesus, you can't have conscious contact with him as stated before. And that was one of the, um, in step 11, it does say, to improve our conscious contact with God. We can't have conscious contact with God unless we know Jesus. And I'll quote it again, 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So there's no way to know God unless you meet the mediator, the one who comes between you and God. He's the bridge that we need in order to reach God. And it's through the receiving the gospel message of the atonement of our sins through the sacrifice of the blood of Christ on my behalf. Uh, without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there is no forgiveness of sin. And uh, the, the shedding of blood was, was required for the forgiveness of sin. Um, so that's what is, allows me to have the access to God, is that his love for me was through, through his love for me, Christ shed his blood so that I can have access to the Father. And Acts 4.12 says this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that must be, that has been given among men 
by which we must be saved. So there's there's a very narrow road to, to see God, and it's through salvation in Jesus Christ. It's not just this mystical idea uh, of all these pantheistic ideas, and mystical ideas that they have a sense of the spirit, and there and I, I know that in I, I just had enough access to the information about uh, these twelve steps that it is about people just having a sense that they're being spiritual and that this idea that religion is the, is the answer and that somehow they're going to be able to, through their own understanding of God, reach the true God. And they use religion as a psychological tool, if you ask me. It's just a means to an end, the end being the, that they would get off the drugs or the alcohol or whatever the addictive behavior is, where our means to the end is that we come to the end of ourselves and we trust Jesus for salvation. Because our actions are just a symptom of our worship disorder. So that's why I say I don't, I, I, I try to teach people, I'm not here to take you off drugs. I'm here to, or alcohol, whatever your addictive behaviors, I'm here to help you worship God. And then Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, that what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The Father's God. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus. So we see a very narrow road uh, to to get to God. And it's not just in uh, the way that we have a conscious contact as we understand him. So that's my second critique, Mark. Very, very good. And it's just arrogance to say you can pray for the knowledge of his will and get that knowledge only through prayer when you don't really access the word of God, spirit of God, the very character of God, like you said, the love of God. Um, just, just uh, It's got to be through Jesus Christ. I mean, he says right. he's the way of the life and the truth. And, and he's, he's the only way you get access to the father mm-hmm. and, and you hit that well. I mean, to just pray for knowledge is good and God will, will uh, work by his spirit. We know that, but he also works by his spirit in conjunction or partnership with the word of God. And, and right. that, that is an important point. All right, let's hear your. Can story. I add? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Let me add one. Let me just expound on what you just stated. Because uh, yeah. that's true. You know, people say the will of God. Oh, let me pray. God will show me his will. Well, I will say that the will of God is the word of God. Your book, The Heart of Addiction, uh, trying to help people to uh, be, get uh, freed from the enslavement of the bondage of the fleshly desires, uses as its outline, I believe, on this verse, 2 Timothy 3, 15-17, where it says, all scripture, God's word, the Bible, is inspired by God and profitable, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Amen? So it's the word of God. If you want to know God's will, then, then learn his word. Uh, here's another verse, Second Peter uh, 1, 3 through 8, and I've condensed it slightly. And it's his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to what? Life 
and godliness through the true knowledge of him, God's word, the Bible. He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world by lust. And that lust in us is the sinful passion that the world, the flesh, and the devil keep drawing us away from God. The, the cre- they draw us away from tempting us through the creation rather than us saying no and worshiping the creator every moment of every day. And one last verse on this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? Your sanctification. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion uh, like those who don't know God. Amen? So like you said, brother, it's about knowing his will is knowing God's word. And, you know, thy word have I treasured in my heart, O Lord, that I might not sin against thee, Psalm uh, 119.11. And um, the the reason we need to memorize scriptures, we need to have um, the ability to minister to ourselves when the temptations come our way. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's hear your third yeah, three, critique. Third. All right. And the power to carry that out. Okay. So without salvation that comes only through Jesus Christ, a person does not have the Holy Spirit, who is the helper that gives the inner man the ability, the power to glorify God and do his will. Um, Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh not please God. And this describes unbelievers trying to please God in their own strength. And this is what I would call, you know, just a pragmatic approach. Uh, Even you could have this in, in, um, even in Christianity, that we just become pragmatic in our approach to not doing and doing things. Right. Rather than saying, I'm not going to do them because of God, because I want to worship God and please him. And when you're according to the flesh, this verse, I believe, speaks of the unbeliever, one who doesn't know God. So when you come to know God, the spirit of God in you gives you you the ability to please God. Anything done not for the glory of God is a deed of the flesh. And you can't do the deeds of God without his spirit dwelling in you. Or without being born again. See, but when you're born again, believer in Jesus Christ, you have the power of the Holy Spirit to help you. Uh, John 14, 16 through 17 says, Jesus said this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That That is the spirit of truth, whom the world, those in the flesh, the world cannot receive, because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Very powerful verse. Zechariah 4.6 says, It's not by my might 
nor by my power, but by my spirit, the Lord. No, let me rephrase that. It's not by power, not by my power. Let's, let me rephrase that. I misspoke. Zechariah 4, 6 says this. It's not by might, nor by power, which means nor by my power as a man. It says, but it says, but my spirit, says the Lord. So God's spirit gives us the might and the power. It's not by our fleshly power that this happens. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us power and strength in the inner man to do his will. Ephesians 3.16 says that he would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Amen. And um, Philippians 4.13 says that I can do all things what through him who strengthens me. So that's my third critique. We can't do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. That's right. When they say and the power to carry that out, they're talking about doing it in your own strength and your own you know, and, and what you are saying is so true, and the Bible tells us it's true, it's not our power, it's the Holy Spirit's power. There's no such thing as willpower, it's the will of God mm-hmm. power, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, you nailed it. That's good. Yep. Amen. Very, very good job, Fred. Well, we are out of time, but mm-hmm. I want to make sure that people know about cornerstonemayfield.org. That's the church Mm -hmm. where Fred has served as an elder and serves there, he and his wife, Lori, in Mm -hmm. uh, lots of ministry leadership positions. They are a valuable Mm -hmm. part of that Mayfield church in Mayfield, Ohio, cornerstonemayfield.org, Cornerstone Mm -hmm. Community Church, Paul Touches, Mm -hmm is the pastor and a gifted writer, a great thinker, a good friend of mine, just a gentle yeah. soul who loves the Lord and uh, is very biblical, very solid. And the great yeah. thing about this church, and Armin Tiffy was uh, maybe the founding or, or really the pastor there for many, many years till he yeah. retired. This church loves its community, offers biblical counseling, wants to care for souls in their church family. And, uh, and, and, and it's refreshing to me to see a church like that. So thank you, Fred, for how you and Lori serve in that church family. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Well, this has been step 11 in our series called a critique of the 12 steps. And I want to thank Fred Bucci again for joining me. I hope you'll tune in tomorrow for the exciting conclusion as we address step 12 tomorrow uh, with Tim Brown. So stay tuned for that. And we look forward to uh, having you on the podcast again, Fred, one of these days soon. And for our our listeners, thanks for joining us. Tune in tomorrow.